You are my God with skin on him. And when I can't feel God one-on-one, I almost always can hear God through you. So if I don't stay close to you guys, it's real hard for me to stay close to God. I can do it on my own for a little while, but I need you. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, my little chickadees. That was the voice of Miss Renee E that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you are going to be hearing so much more from her in just a moment. But first things First, you got it. This episode, the one you are tuned into at this very moment, is brought to you by Tiffany, Tammy, and Gerhard. You know what Tiffany, Tammy, and Gerhard did? They went to our website with their little PC or Mac or whatever they have. They clicked on the little donate tab. They may have used a mouse. They may have used their finger. I'm not completely sure. And then they made a contribution. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tiffany, Tammy, and Gerhard. This particular episode is going right out to you. As normal, we are by our grace and good thoughts, going to let everybody else listen in. But this episode is going right out to you folks. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly blessed and privileged and honored to serve all of you listening in. All right, just a little announcement here, and then we'll get right on into Renee E., because I know you are going to enjoy this episode so much. Oh, it's just chock full of nuts. And so anyway, we have Samara S. Uh, coming up at our next uh, Sober Speak live event here in North Texas on March 20th, Friday at 7 p.m. at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church in Frisco. And don't worry about writing all that down. Just go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and it's like the first post or whatever, not post, whatever. You see it there, right there on the page, right? So that's what I'm saying. Uh, the event also, I'm just trying out some new things. This is actually listed, uh, when I say this, the event 
uh, Sober Speak Live with Samara S. is listed on Eventbrite. For those of you who use that, all you got to do is go into Eventbrite, put in Sober Speak Live, and it will come up. Uh, if you're looking, if it makes you use a location, you can go to Texas, but uh, it should be the only one in there. If you happen to be located right here in the North Texas area, and you would be willing and are able to post a flyer at your group, please send me an email to john, as sober, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, and I will send you a flyer. We have it all prepared for you. Um, you could just print it out at your little computer there, and... Uh, uh, or if you're at a treatment center, wherever you happen to be, keep in mind this is an open AA meeting and all ladies and gentlemen, my little chickadees, are welcome to attend. All right. Um, those there are there are several of you who have come up to me uh, in the past and you say, how do I actually uh, subscribe? That, okay, they call it subscribe to the podcast. And all that means is you go into your podcast player and you click on follow or you click on subscribe. And really all that's saying is you just get notifications of all the uh, new episodes that come out and, and you're subscribed to it. And if you're wondering how to do that, either in Apple Podcasts, which is formerly known as iTunes, or in Google Podcast, um, just text the word sober S-O-B-E-R, hopefully you know how to spell that, to 31996, text the word sober to 31996, and you will receive a link to both Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, and you can sign up for the uh, podcast there at that location. You also get the option to add your name uh, to our email list, uh, or excuse me, add your email to our email list. You can send in your name as well if you'd like. Um, and we will get you out our uh, eh, about a monthly or so email that we send out to the folks. Um, also, as a reminder, uh, I have, I've had several people ask me, okay, so I'm a new listener. Which podcast should I listen to? And uh, for me, it's like saying, which is your favorite child? So it's hard for me to say, listen to this one or listen to that one. But I can tell you there is a list on our website. Uh, it's called the 2019 Top 10 Episodes. That is the most listened to listen to by you, the listeners. And this should give you a starting point if you want to go to our website and check that out. All right. Now on to Miss Renee E. The title of this is You Are My God with Skin On. And uh, Renee addresses uh, several different uh, topics during our time together. She talks about that awful loneliness that we all can experience. Now, I have experienced it both in sobriety and I have experienced it for sure before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. But many of you, I'm sure most of you can relate to that feeling. She addresses how we are connected, we in Alcoholics Anonymous, through our mutual pain and here's a piece of her life that is uh, just very intriguing. After years sober, she sensed that something was not quite right in her own marriage, 
And she talks about how she dealt with that, how her entire family worked through, I guess, what you would call a new normal and uh, and how they all kept moving forward um, after that particular time. And uh, she talks about what it's like dealing with real life in long-term sobriety, right? It's all, not all roses and butterflies or unicorns or whatever the case may be. Real life can be definite. She talks about a passage in the big book from uh, the back in the story called The Keys to the Kingdom and shares her thoughts on that passage. Ladies and gentlemen, my little chickadees, without Further ado, please help me welcome Miss Renee E. And keep in mind, we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy Renee E. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here again with Miss Renee E. When I say again, oh gosh, I had Renee on this podcast. I think it was like episode number three or four. It was like a long time ago. But I've been in many meetings with Miss Renee since. I have the pleasure of attending meetings with her at the Frisco Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've thought many times over, I need to get her back in here to have her speak to the Sober Speak audience again. So Renee, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and then we'll get started with this little uh, soiree here. Thanks, John. My name is Renee and I'm, I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is November 16th, 1991. So you just had a birthday. I did. And that's how many years? 28. 28. It's a freaking miracle. <laughs> For I remember all it was 28 days and thought, how am I going to make it to 30? I was sitting in a meeting with you and you had your 28th uh, birthday. I think uh, you had your your sponsor here, Anne, yeah. correct? No, that's right. Yeah. We were at the day. Yeah. Shivering Denison. And my niece was here yes. that day too. Yeah. Which, who I did not know at the time was sober until I said something. Somebody said, hey, uh, Jamie may want to go with you. And I said, uh, okay. So I asked her and she's like, yeah, I, I have almost 30 days. It was wow. really cool. Very nice. And they both live in Kansas. Is that right? No. At, one lives in Kansas. One lives in Washington, D.C. Gotcha. Is your sponsor lives in Kansas? My sponsor lives yeah. in Wichita. Anne. Yep. Annie or Anne? Anne. Anne. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, she was scary Aunt Annie <laughs> before she got sober. Right. So that's an unusual part of your story. Yeah. That is a she is your your aunt, your blood relative. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. There's some built-in accountability there. That's, that's for right. sure. <laughs> and you have your sweatshirt on today, your Wichita West wrestling. Yes. The- My former students would be so so proud of me wearing this today. <laughs> I bought it off their website. That's great. Yeah. So you are a Kansas girl through and through. I am a Kansas girl. We moved here in 96. And once I spent the first winter down here, I thought I'm never moving any further north than this. <laughs> it's just too dang cold up there. Right. And and you and one of them and I forget. I think you're a, a is it Kansas or Kansas State? I know they're John. rivals. I'm so sorry. Oh, K State, <laughs> Kansas State. State. I'm not a KU fan. No offense to anyone that is. That's right. But it's it's kind of like UT and A and M. You know, one's the Ag School, one's the well. We always considered KU the snotty rich school. Not trying to offend anybody. I just grew up in the poor part of Kansas, and, <laughs> and they were in the rich part of Kansas. 
All right, super. So, well, what I asked you to do, uh, which you did, you I asked if you could come over with something from the literature that is special to you. And I know you have something in front of you there. What are you going to read for the Sober Speak audience? Well, I had gotten asked to speak at a group down in Dallas once, and I got there really early because I didn't know what traffic was going to be like. And I was always taught then flip open the book. And I opened my book to this part of the book that I had highlighted, but I had no memory of ever reading it before. And it has absolutely become my favorite part of the book. Um, it's in the story, The Keys of the Kingdom. This is the third edition. It's on page 311. Okay. And so and so for people who may not be as familiar with the big book, what Renee's referring to there is there's, there's stories in the mm-hmm. back of the big book. This one is called The Keys to the Kingdom. Is The Keys to the Kingdom in the fourth edition? I'm not even I sure. Don't, I don't know. I I have a fourth edition that I use for step studies, but I... Okay. This is the one that I have with me all the time. Okay, so this is the third edition, just in case somebody's looking for it, and it's page what, 311? 311. Okay. 311. AA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. It is a way of life, and the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as he or she lives. We do not, cannot outgrow this plan. As arrested alcoholics, we must have a program for living that al- allows for limitless expansion. Keeping one foot in front of the other is essential for maintaining our arrestment. Others may idle and retrogressive groove without too much danger, but retrogression can spell death for us. However, this isn't as rough as it sounds, as we do become grateful for the necessity that makes us toe the line, for we find that we are more than compensated for a consistent effort by the countless dividends we receive. A complete change takes place in our approach to life. Where we used to run from responsibility, we find ourselves accepting it with gratitude that we can successfully shoulder it. Instead of wanting to escape some perplexing problem, we experience a thrill of challenge in the opportunity it affords oh, sorry, for another application of AA techniques, and we find ourselves tackling it with surprising vigor. The last 28 years of my life have been rich and meaningful. I've had my share of problems, heartaches, and disappointments because that is life. But I've also known a great deal of joy and a peace that is the handmaiden of an inner freedom. I have a wealth of friends, and with my AA friends, an unusual quality of fellowship. For to these people, I am truly related, first through mutual pain and despair, and later through mutual objectives and newfound faith and hope. And as the years go by working together, sharing our experiences with one another, and also sharing a mutual trust, understanding, and love without strings, without obligation. We acquire relationships that are unique and priceless. There is no more aloneness with that awful ache so deep in the heart of every alcoholic that nothing before could ever reach it. That ache is gone and need never return again. Now there is a sense of belonging, of being wanted and needed and loved. In return for a bottle and a hangover, we have been given the keys of the kingdom. Ah, beautiful. I love that. Okay, so there was a couple of points there (laughs) where you got a little emotional, we'll just say. What were you thinking of when you were reading that? Uh, what, What was coming to mind for you? It fills me with such gratitude when I read that because that that awful aloneness that it talks about, I've felt from from the earliest memories that I have 
Um, I remember being in kindergarten and feeling like I didn't fit. Everybody else had that manual to life and, and knew what they were doing. You know, I judged my insides by their outsides and their outsides all looked good. And my, my insides were not that I was not enough for me. And so I, I had a hard time understanding how they could look like they, they were happy. Um, the, the parts where it talks about us being connected through our mutual pain, but the, the joy and the pain and the, and the relief from that, that we gain on the other side of that, those are the things that connects us. If somebody comes into a meeting and talks about, oh, it's great. And I've, you know, got it all figured out. And I wouldn't be able to relate to that. That is not who I am. I am such still a fallible human being. It is our fallibility that connects us. That's what connects me to you is the fact that you screw it up, you you make mistakes, but I get to watch you clean it up with grace and dignity that I don't always feel like I have. You know, uh, I've had Eric over here before, Eric B., who you know uh, from the group, and he was one of the first pe- people I, I, I ever heard say, uh, and, and I love this, he said, when he came into the rooms, he was like, this is like the opposite of Facebook. <laughs> Like nobody's posted a picture of themselves when uh, their 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 boyfriend and their husband are meeting each other at the parole officer. I just heard this story in a meeting just moments ago. That's awesome, <laughs> she said, and I, I hope she's okay with me talking about this. this is Jennifer? Uh, That's where she awesome. talked about how the the first time her boyfriend and her husband met each other were at the parole officer's <laughs> office trying to get her out of jail. That's so great. Well, we were in a meeting yesterday, and I was I was thinking the irony of someone was sharing about the fact that when he came in, he had six legal issues hanging over his head, and now he's down to one. And we're all like, "Yay!" <laughs> Where normal people would be like, "You have a legal issue," right. and we're like celebrating the fact that he's down to one. Right? I mean, that's so cool. But that's the stuff that connects us. Normal people look at us and go, "You guys are a bunch of whack jobs." <laughs> yes, we know. <laughs> oh, all right, so. Let's okay. So, what I want to do is dive a little bit into your story, uh, kind of give people a sense of where you came from, uh, you know, what you were like, what happened, what you're like now, that sort of thing, and then kind of toward the end, maybe do a little bit of a, a Q and A thing that I have okay. received. I received uh, questions both on Facebook. I've received some questions via email, and uh, and and you're good with kind of handling these things on the spot. If you because I'm a teacher. That's that, why. Yeah, that's right. You are a teacher. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I can tell by. The way you were reading the uh, <laughs> the keys to the kingdom, I go. That sounds like a teacher. Yeah, reading. It's a teacher voice. It's a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, just to get folks kind of up to speed with you, so you you well, you came from Kansas. When when did you get down here to the Texas area? Nineteen ninety six. And were you drinking at that? Well, no, no. no. So mm-hmm. you had sobered no. up before you came down here. I had, and I did not think I could move sober. I pitched a fit. My husband's company was being moved. He worked for Pizza Hut at the time, and they were moving their world headquarters down to Addison, actually. And I said, I can't move. I got sober here. My sponsor's here. My home group's here. I I have to stay here. Because I did not know it was possible to move states, especially, and stay sober. I wasn't sure how that was going to work. 
And so you were sober for like I said, like five years or mm-hmm. so. So, well, take me up to the point of actually getting into Alcoholics Anonymous. So, where, what, what was the? Was there a turning point? Was there a particular time and date, or was it more a, a succession of events? No, it was uh, my. You know, I started young, like most of us do, but my drinking stayed very manageable for a long time. It was really important to me. I was a good kid. Um, school was a safe place for me because I, my dad was an alcoholic. My mom was not an alcoholic, but came from a long line. And school was always a place where I could do well and I would get positive feedback and, and the, the insecurity wasn't quite as loud when I was there. And so I loved school. So it was more important for me to be a part of that and keep my nose clean there because if I lost that, I really would have nothing. Um, my dad's alcoholism, I compared my drinking to his for a long time. And as long as mine didn't look like his, then I, I'm not that bad because he would drink every night till he passed out. I would have to wake him up for work the next day. Um, started a real pattern of codependency early on, which was awesome. <laughs> but it, but what I didn't realize, Sean, for, for several years sober, was I didn't see his alcoholism at 27, 28 years old. His, I saw his alcoholism at 40, 50 years old. And, and not understanding at that time how the progression looks, my alcoholism probably looked exactly like his did at 27 years old. Mm-hmm. So that was a real unfair comparison early on. But it wasn't until uh, Chad and I were married and I had two small children. Kate was two, Tony was one, and I I found the group of people at school who drank like I did. And, you know, eventually blew my marriage up because that's what we do. Um, Nobody comes in here on a winning streak just because they don't have anything else to do. And the only reason I knew where to go was because I had had an aunt who had gotten sober. My dad was one, the middle of three children. This is the same aunt who's your sponsor. Mm-hmm. And she, they were all three. All three of he and his siblings both all were alcoholic, and she was terrifying. You know, they all were. The family holidays were only a holiday if somebody got mad and said, "Back the car, we're leaving," and you know, <laughs> threw food, screamed at each other. Scary Annie is scary it? Aunt Annie because she was scary drunk and she was scary hungover. So it really wasn't. It, she was just a, a very brittle, mean, angry alcoholic all the time. Many of them were on that side, and so she got sober in seventy nine. And she changed from this terrifying human to my favorite relative on the face of the earth. She mm. took an interest in my life. She would give me gifts that were very thoughtful and, and personalized. Nobody had Renee anything in the 70s, and she would give me stickers with my. I, those are the things that I remembered because it felt like nobody else was paying attention to me like that. Really, me. And she did. And I knew the only difference was she wasn't drinking and she was very open about the fact that she was going to AA. So I knew where the answer was when I started having trouble. And so did you immediately get into AA? Did you recognize, when did you realize you had a problem with alcohol? Um, I, the signs were there early on, even in high school. I remember it would be about 10 till 12 and they stopped selling booze at 12. And I would be like, hey, 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 my, we need to go get some more. They're about to close. We need to go get some more. And and my friends would look at me and say, I have a curfew. I have to go home. And so I, I had the red flags early on, but it didn't, 
it didn't occur to me that that wasn't normal drinking. And so it, what I, what I discovered as an adult was all those things that the book talks about, you know, I'm my willpower, my moral issues went out the window the minute I took the first drink. And I thought, and I tried controlled drinking. I tried only drinking beer. Um, it was the hard liquor that got me in trouble. Or I would drink wine coolers because they were ladylike <laughs> when those first came out. But it was, I would change my mind is what I told myself after I had the first one. And then I would be so, you know, what we used to call three sheets to the wind and couldn't, couldn't understand how I got there. And that really wasn't until I was more of a, an adult, my late 20s. Um, two small children working full time, a husband that was not alcoholic. We, we went on a trip once and it was all expenses paid and we were sitting with a table of people and it was free booze. And he said, I'm going to try drinking tonight because we didn't have to drive. We were staying at the hotel. And he was trying to explain to the waiter what he wasn't, what he wanted. And it was something like some kind of fancy schmancy rum and coke or something. And the waiter could not understand what he was saying. So finally, he's like, never mind, just bring me a Pepsi. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you write that down. You take it to somebody that speaks English and you bring me those until I can't walk. And I thought, you're a weirdo. <laughs> but my drinking didn't look like his from jump. And it didn't matter what I tried, controlled, switching, stopping, none of it took. And I didn't understand that that's alcoholism. Wow. Okay, so you have, so I know you have more than two children. So other kids started to pop up in the meantime, I'm assuming. I have four children. Four, okay. Yep. And did those come after you got to Dallas or when you were still in Kansas? One of the things that got me sober was I realized when everything blew up that I was pregnant with my third kid. And, and ironically, I didn't drink with any of my pregnancies, but God did that. That was the only thing I loved more than me, uh, you know, and drinking were my children. And so, but the minute those pregnancies were over, man, it was all bets were off. So I found out um, once everything blew up that I was pregnant with Bo. And so that was more incentive to get sober. And I was seeing a, I was seeing a counselor at the time for my child of alcoholic issues. And so I went into him and, and really told the truth about my drinking for the first time. And he said, all right, I want you to, his name was Bill, Bill Morris, actually. And he said, I want you to take this test. Check, check, check. He brought it back. I got an A. I didn't realize the A stood for alcoholic. <laughs> um, I was so happy with the A until I found out what it meant. And he said, um, I, I have an, in, an outpatient treatment um, that you can go to. Um, the thing that, that saved me about that, because I think treatment gets a bad rap a lot of the time. A lot of people see it as a Band-Aid now. You know, when we didn't used to have it, you know, run in, stay for 30 days, come back out, drink, run back in. But the thing that I think made the difference for me is that my counselor in that program, her name was Shelly, and she had 22 years now, Alcoholics Anonymous. And she was very clear. She said, what we do in here, this is group therapy. What you do when you get out there, that's recovery. Do mm. not confuse the two. How about that? When you were in here, you will talk about you know, you can talk about the inside stuff and your mama and your daddy and all that. But when you get out there, you talk about the solution to alcoholism only when you are in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. So that really helped me clarify what I was doing there and what I was going to be doing when I went to a meeting. And she said, what we're doing in here, this is not your recovery. This is therapy. What you do when you get out there, that's your recovery. What do your kids remember about your drinking? Do they remember anything or were they too young? Mm -mm. Kate 
Kate has some vague memories, but she said, I don't know if they're mine or or if it's what she's heard me talk about. Mm-hmm. Because they were pretty shielded from that because they were so little. But the, one of the things I'm the most grateful for today is none of my children know me as anything other than a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. They've grown up in the rooms. They've gone to birthday nights. They, they rotate through giving me my chip every year. And Sam was the sober baby. I really wanted to have a baby totally sober and make a decision to have one sober because the others were kind of like, I'm what? Oh, okay. Um, So, And I remember talking to my sponsor about that. Hey, we're thinking about having another kid. And somebody said, you talk to your sponsor about having a kid? I said, I'm supposed to run major life decisions (laughs) through her. And and she's like, you're working a program. You know, we talked about through the pros and cons. And she didn't give me permission, but she didn't help me see any... There were no red flags. You know, I, I uh, struggled with, I never really wanted to have kids. Really? Never. Uh-uh. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And you have uh, two great soon, kids. Right. And they, you know, my job is not to screw them up, basically. <laughs> no, no, no. We're trying to just minimize the damage and minimize the amount of money they spent on therapy. <laughs> I mean, that's what I tell mine all the time. Hey, we screwed a lot of stuff up. We just tried to minimize the amount of damage we caused you and the amount of money you're going to spend in therapy. So, That's right. I always yeah. say they're going to have problems. I just hope they don't have my problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, there'll be different ones, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, the thing is, they're being raised by fallible human beings. So it, have I done it better than my parents did? I hope so. But my whole hope for them is that they do it better than I've done it because mm-hmm. they're Absolutely, there are things that we want to do over. I know you can look at your kids and go, "Man, I wish I had that back." You know, I'd like to. <laughs> I wish I would have liked to have done some other financial, better financial lessons with my kids. But okay, whatever. You right. know, they know where AA is, so yeah. I guess I got to go with that. That's right. And for me, you know, at least they're not living with active addiction inside Amen. their own home. You know? Amen. And by the way, there are a lot of people that are listening to this right now that are living with actual active addiction within their home. In fact, I, I had a, a a question from somebody on Facebook. I'm going to go ahead and bring this up now. I thought it was a real good question. This was from uh, Sharla. And uh, she said, uh, when you have a guest in, she says, first of all, I'd like to thank you for your service to the program and the members of AA and Al-Anon. I would love to hear more experiences about how, quote, double winners balance the program in everyday life with marriages, kids, jobs, etc. So I know you're not in Al-Anon, so you can't speak about it from a, right. fr- from a, from a double winner perspective, but... I think you would have experience on everyday life with marriages, kids, jobs, et cetera, and balancing the program. Can you speak to that a little? Right. It was really hard. I remember my daughter said to me once we were in the car and she was asking me if I could do something that evening. And I said, no, honey, I have to go to a meeting. And she said, oh, you have to go to another PTA meeting? <laughs> I said, no, I have to go to an AA meeting. And we had a discussion then. But she's, she was eight. Because it was hard it was hard on my husband. That meant I had to leave a couple times a week in the evenings to go to, because we didn't have noon meetings back then, at least not where, where the Frisco group didn't yet. And that meant he was responsible for bath duty and putting them to bed. And, and that felt, a part of me thought that felt really selfish. And what was explained to me was, unless I put my sobriety first, I don't get to ever tuck those kids in at night. If I, George said, my friend George, who since passed away, said once, you know, anything I put in my 
you get too busy for AA, don't worry, your schedule free right up. Mm-hmm. And I've never forgotten that. And anything that I put in front of my sobriety, I risk lo- losing. And there was a woman in noon meetings that, oh, she drove me crazy. And what God does is make you never forget them when that happens. <laughs> and she said, their counsel- her counselor had them take 10 little slips of paper and write down ten the 10 most important things in their life on those 10 pieces of paper, and then rank order them on their desks, including their sobriety. And then he went around the room with the trash can, and anything that they had put in front of or higher than their sobriety, he picked up and threw in the trash. He said, anything you put in front of that, you're going to lose at some point. And I've never been able to get that visual out, because there are times when I feel like I am changing the rank order, right? I'm putting other, my kids, well, I haven't seen my kids in a couple, you know, I need to move them. Oh, I need to tuck them in tonight. You know, I put that stuff in front. I really need to work late and skip that meeting. And there's a cost for that. And normally it takes a, a sponsor pointing it out or my insides or I get restless irritable discontent and then I think, oh, wait, I need to rank order these back. My sobriety has to come first. So my children were all very little when I was in early sobriety and my marriage changed. When one person gets sober and the other one it either isn't an alcoholic or, or aren't in the rooms, the mobile starts hanging differently. And it takes a while to figure out how to balance that again. And it takes a willingness on both. And the book talks about that. They take care of us for a while, and then we get self-sufficient. And now our roles are so different. But what I what I couldn't afford to forget was it was not selfish to take care of my sobriety. I owed the fact that I still had a marriage, that I had four beautiful children in my life that I was going to get to help raise. I owed all that to being sober and a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So to dismiss that or or push that down the the rank order was going to be asking to lose the things that I had worked so hard to gain back. We will be continuing our conversation with Renee E. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at SoberSpeak.com. There, you can also find the donate button on our website, and you can use that if and only if you feel really good about it and the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. You know, and I do have people come in here and offer to, quote, sponsor this thing, you know, and uh, I just uh, I just can't do it. All right. Now, back to Renee. E. All right. So I want to go then a little bit forward in your story. I know we had talked about this a little bit on your original episode, but uh, you have a, a, I guess, an unusual piece within your sobriety, right? <laughs> I've never heard a topic on it. Yeah. That's right. As you said, well, I'll let you, you know what I'm referring to. So you're well, I was I was twenty years sober. Twenty eight years sober. I was twenty at the 20 time. Twenty Okay, I was twenty at the time, and uh, actually about eighteen now because it's been about ten years. And something was wrong in my marriage. I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, there was an elephant in the room, but I don't think either one of us really knew what it was. Um, finally, you know, and my solution to that was just to throw myself further into service and in Alcoholics Anonymous because it's not about them; it's about me. And so. One night we went to dinner and and I said to Chad at the time, I don't I don't know what's wrong. We may have to go back to counseling, we may have to separate, but something's not right. And um we we moved to the car because I was starting to cry, and that's always embarrassing when you're trying to eat dinner in a public place. So we moved to the car and we were 
at one of the middle schools picking up our youngest son, and uh, he just started sobbing. Because I said at the end of the day, I love you, but I don't believe you desire me, and I don't believe I desire you, but you're my best friend. I don't know what's wrong. And he just started sobbing, and it was the first time he had ever said it out loud. He said, I'm gay. And I said, I think I know that. And he was kind of quiet for a minute. And he said, well, why didn't you tell me? Because he had never said it out loud before in his life. I said, it wasn't my story to tell. So it was, I had never heard, you know, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous with this list. Well, when this happens, I'm going to have to drink. When this happens, I'm going to have to drink. Um, you know, somebody I love dies. I'm Surely I'm going to have to drink over that. Something happens to one of my children. Um, you know, we get in financial trouble because somebody loses their job. Surely there's a little caveat. I'll have to drink over those. But I, I didn't know I needed to put on the list how to stay sober when your husband comes out of the closet. And so I, I was immediately filled with fear. I thought, oh my God, we're going to get divorced. I'm going to have to go back to work. I don't have my Texas teaching certificate. What, you know, it was so many unknowns. And, and what I learned through all that is God is good. God is always in the good. God is the one, I don't, the God of my understanding doesn't cause the bad stuff to happen, but he helps you find the good in it and helps you find the solution in it so that you can stay sober through it. And so nothing changed for a long time. He He's still my best friend. We still have dinner once a week because we still share four children and we've got some finances that we still have to work on separating. And so we we just paused like you taught me. And I I got to work on getting my Texas teaching certificate. I got to I got to stay sober through all that. I got to let God figure out the outcome. I just had to do the footwork. So we didn't divorce until about three years ago and stayed in the same house for a long time because again, this is my best friend. He didn't want to be gay any more than I wanted to be alcoholic. He didn't. He surely didn't say, "Oh, you're alcoholic. I gotta go." So I wasn't about to do that to him. I, I, it's a wiring issue for both of us, I believe. So, how can we make the best of a situation that is not turning out the way we thought it was going to? So I think I have the best of of a lot of worlds. It you know, and better another man than another woman. Another woman's personal. Another man, I cannot <laughs> compete with that. So really, that worked out in my benefit too. So. The fact that we get to remain friends, he's still one of the first people I want to call when it's good and one of the first people I want to call when it's scary. I get to keep that relationship. He currently lives in Dallas with his partner. We're, we have a great relationship. Our, our significant others get along. The four of us do things together. That, that only is because of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now that's, so you have double dates basically. Oh yeah. We've, we've gone out to the lake house, the four of us before. It's Where else do you get the tools to learn how to do that stuff if it's not in the rooms of AA? That's you, right. You guys are the ones that taught me we show up no matter what. We continue to show up. God's grace. Mm-hmm. Mm. Especially when it does not turn out like you think it's supposed to. So you're sharing this right now, right? And you're well aware that this is going to go out to a lot of people. And so my, my thought is, I'm wondering when you first, my guess is this has been a progression, right? When you first mm -hmm. found out about this, would you have been able to come in here, sit at this microphone and talk about it at this sort of level? I think, uh, that's a good question, John. I, I was so consumed with fear 
because I just didn't know what was going to happen. Fear, and and then I got mad because this is not the way it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to have one of those marriages that my grandchildren get to look at and go, I want to, I want a marriage like my grandparents have, and I had to grieve that, grieve the fact that that wasn't going to happen. You know, now what my uh, now what my grandchildren will get to say is, I want a relationship like my grandparents have, whether they're married or not. You know, and I want to, what are the lessons we're going to teach them will have nothing to do with marriage. It's going to have everything to do with being there for each other and loving each other, no matter what. And I think those are going to be much more important lessons than what I thought I wanted to teach them. How did your kids handle all that? It was interesting. We told the people in our lives closest to us, like my mom and his mom and first, because I wanted my kids to have a support structure and and kind of the shock to wear off. So we didn't tell my children for about four months. We went on vacation to Charleston, South Carolina, and about the middle of the week, we rented a beach house. The middle of the week, we ordered pizza and said, we have something to tell you. And you know, talking to them later, they thought that somebody was sick or had cancer or that we were going to get a divorce. And so what was ironic was when we said, you know, Chad said, I'm gay. We got to show a united front and say, this doesn't change the fact we're still your parents. We're still on the same team. We love you no matter what. We love each other no matter what. And some of them had, had, I don't know, suspected it. Um, Some of them didn't. But they knew that no matter what, their dad loved them, their mom loved them, and that was really the most important piece. They got to kind of work through their own viewpoints on, okay, what does this mean for us? The the most important thing we could tell them was nobody's divorcing today. And that was really their main fear. I think for every kid is, are my parents going to split up? And that is, so it was nice to be able to say, nope, we're still going to be in the same house for now, but we will all figure this out together over time. You know, God's in charge. And no matter what, we believe God's got it. (laughs) And they, they, they knew that. Because of AA, they'd heard it their whole lives. So there is another. You you have referenced him already, right? And before we started this podcast, I, I just you know I didn't want to get into something you know that was like <laughs> personal to you that you right. didn't want to discuss, you know, at internet level. Right. Let's just put it that <laughs> way, okay? And and so there is there is another gentleman who entered the picture who I talked about on this mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. when he died. Um, I talked about him two or three times. Yeah. He was a kind of a North star, if you will, for yeah. North Texas Alcoholics Anonymous. A lot of people looked up to him, mm-hmm. loved him, thought the world of him. Uh, his name is George, yep. George C. George Clark, we yeah. say now, because he has gone on. Yep. So why don't you talk about him, where he entered the picture, um, you know, what your relationship was like with him and and really kind of all how it re- revolves around recovery and the 12 steps as well. Right. You know, George became one of my good friends in AA when he started coming to the Frisco group. And uh, he was he was a tough nut to figure out in a lot of ways. Like I was talking in a meeting once about being frustrated with a guy at Home Depot who who I wanted to match paint. He wanted me to cut out a piece of sheetrock. And uh, I was like, that cannot be the only solution here. And the next day, George came up to me at the end of the meeting and said, that guy at Home Depot, I took care of him. 
you don't have to worry about him anymore. And I wasn't quite <laughs> sure if he was joking or not. What I didn't know is that's his way of flirting. <laughs> he was that kind of guy. And so after Chad came out, um, you know, George and I, because we already were so close, got to have a different kind of relationship. You know, we, we I guess you'd call it dating at our age. It sounds so funny. Um, for the next, on and off for the next eight years. And um, he, he was one of the wisest men I've ever met in AA, was so fallible. And I think that's why so many people could connect to him. He struggled with his relationship with God for a long time. His, his dad was a very strict, stern, um, really hard father figure. And so George had a hard time connecting a loving, kind God with that. Um, and that took him a long time. But he continued to work on it. He he loved Alcoholics Anonymous. He started the Shivering Denizens group that's also in Frisco. Um, and he was climbing on a ladder one day. And it was one of those days where we had 40, 50 mile an hour winds. And uh, he didn't wear a harness. Whether, you know, it's pride and ego doesn't matter. He was just a, a John Wayne kind of guy. And whether the ladder gave out whether he lost his balance doesn't matter but he fell um 25 feet head first and died immediately <laughs> the interesting part of that story is that I, I think um there was one of our group members that was there they were the only two on the job site that day and that man had to experience that and stayed sober through that i don't know how i know my grief over george dying was probably up to that point, the most painful thing I'd ever gone through in sobriety. And I wasn't sure I could survive it. And I was in the shower one day crying uh, a couple of days after saying, I, I can't do this. This is too hard. I cannot do it. And I heard George Clark's voice so incredibly clear. Um, and I won't cuss uh, to offend anybody. He said, um, tough crap, suck it up. Don't be a wimp. He used his colorful language with it, but that I heard it just as clear as day. And um, I thought, okay, but I'm not going to like it. He's like, that's okay. You don't have to like it, but you have to do it. And I needed that. And, uh, you know, that was, that was on my list. How to, how, I'm not going to be able to stay sober when someone I truly love dies. I had managed to do it when my granny died because you guys had experienced it and, and showed me how, but you, I didn't know how to do it when someone that it was I was as close to as a spouse died. And one more time, you guys showed me how to do it because you grieved with me and you, and you told me it was okay, that I didn't have to have it figured out. I, didn't, I just had to keep showing up. That was it. And so because of you, I, I could survive George's death and stay sober and come out on the other side. And I think about it, I have a picture of him in my house and I miss him every day. But the lessons that he taught all of us, that man's going to live for. My granny said to me once, as long as you remember me, I will never truly die. That man's going to live forever. Because I'm, I'm almost always in a meeting at least once a week where somebody references him or something that he said. So his, the lessons that he taught us will never die. The one I always uh, hear uh, is the rules apply to me too. Oh, the best definition of humility ever. The rules apply to me too. By George C. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's so, and it's so true. <laughs> yeah, he's going to live forever. It's, you know, I was thinking about the earlier question: How do you balance when you're a double winner? 
having a relationship with somebody else in AA is has both pros and cons. The pros are you have the same vocabulary. You know, you you guys get it when I say, oh, I woke up and my brain turned on. You're like, oh, I hate that. <laughs> a normal person goes, well, isn't that a good thing? No, it's not a good thing. <laughs> but it also comes with a different, being in a relationship with someone in AA also comes with a different set of expectations. I know how they need to treat me. I know what they need to do when they don't treat me right. I know where the solution is for you. Right. They didn't make an amends when they should have made an amends. <laughs> Hello. So so it has its pros and cons. Um, I've had two different examples of one of somebody not in the program and one with. And, you know, I I like being in one with somebody, but I appreciate it when you're not because it's they both have their strengths and weaknesses. Right. It's just different. And people are always asking me, uh, you know, is it better today somebody in the program or outside of it? And I'm like, I don't, you know, I've seen, I've seen people within AA date and it was like a complete disaster. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> but then I've seen them people in AA date and it worked out great and vice versa. It's the same when you date somebody outside. Right. So there's no real Mm-mm. key to the kingdom, so to speak. There's really not. The only the only advice I'd give some of the women that I, I work with is, if you can find somebody outside of your own home group, because George was the one that said, be careful, you don't want to poop where you eat, and if, if it goes south, who gets the group in the divorce? That's right. Because as much as people don't want to take sides, they do. It's just human nature, and it just complicates everything. It does. So different home groups is a real strong suggestion <laughs> that I got. It's a good one. <laughs> All right. So I want to ask another question that we got from uh, Kathy Joe here. And Kathy Joe said, and we've talked about some of this already, but how do you stay spiritually fit? Oh, Kathy Joe, that's a great question. And she also, at the same time, quoted this piece from the big book that says, what we really have is a daily reprieve uh, contingent upon the maintenance of our sp- spiritual condition, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 85. My best lesson in this, and you were a part of this, John, actually, when I, I had surgery, I had a hysterectomy in 2008, same, same year Chad came out. It was a rough year. And... I had all this time at home. I couldn't drive. I was stuck at home. And I had all this time to pray and talk to God. And I never felt more distant from God in my sobriety as I did then. And fi- one day after about a week and a half, because I was really struggling, about a week and a half later, you guys brought me a noon meeting to my house. Mm-hmm. And we sat out on my back porch. And as we went around and introduced ourselves, I had one of those, aha- oh, here's God. You are my God with skin on him. And when I can't feel God one-on-one, I almost always can hear God through you. So if I don't stay close to you guys, it's real hard for me to stay close to God. I can do it on my own for a little while, but I need you. You are, you are my conduit to that so much of the time that I, not, that I don't even realize. You know, how do I stay spiritually fit? I do the things that are suggested. I talk to God every day. I don't have the radio on in my car until I've talked to God. It's not just the prayers, but it's the conversation. I, I see God as the ultimate parent. As a parent of four, there isn't anything my children can do or say that would make me not love them. I don't like them a lot of the time. I don't like their choices or their behavior, but I always love them. And if they got mad and, and went away, the only thing that I would ask for would be a relationship 
I just want him to communicate with me. I think God works the exact same way. There isn't anything I can do or say that will make him not love me. He doesn't like my choices. He doesn't like my behavior. He probably doesn't like me some of the time. I I cuss like a sailor. I'm sure he's not thrilled about that. (laughs) But I know at the end of the day, because you guys have told me, and you guys have shown me that God loves me no matter what. So I have a conversation with God. And the and the days where I where you guys are all being butt nuggets, I think, <laughs> oh, did I even talk to God today? Oh, wait, there you are. So I'll ask God to help me start my day over and and help me be loving and tolerant. And so I I I say my prayers in the shower because when my kids were little, it was the only time I had where they wouldn't come in. Doesn't matter if you're in, on the toilet; they don't care. But if you're in the shower, ain't nobody want to see that. So that's the <laughs> only place they would leave me alone. And so. I talk to God in the shower, and that's because my sponsor rolls over and whips open her daily her books, and I that's not me. I need to get awake a little bit first. So and then I try and go to a meeting. If I can't go daily, I try and go every other day. I pick up the phone when somebody calls. Those that's how I stay spiritually fit. But I have to be around you guys. It I can't do it solely on my own. It doesn't work. I've tried it. It gets ugly quickly. Butt nuggets, but well, I I can't say the things I, I really want to say. <laughs> Told you, cuss like a sailor. <laughs> you can. Well, I've had people in here who who do cuss like My a sailor. Would kill me. Right, she says I got you, can't, you. you don't cuss from the podium, right? Or when you're at uh, this feels like a podium. Yeah, so, and, okay. and what people don't realize is that when I do, the only difference it makes on my end. By the way, I never like uh, like tell people don't cuss or anything like that. <laughs> you know, uh, but what I have to do on my end is uh, every once in a while is I have to go back and put there's an explicit <laughs> label that you have to put on podcasts when there's too much cu- or when there's cussing on it That's and hilarious. so like for example andrew right oh, you know god, andrew yeah. right oh my god i mean he knows one language you and it's foul. every other right word. Yeah. yeah well so i don't bleep him but i just go back and i mark it explicit <laughs> That that may make some people want to maybe that, i should drop an f-bomb that may that's make them right. want to listen to this and they, yeah that's right <laughs> You know, uh, in in fact, uh, sometimes at the beginning, I'm like, okay, listen, if offensive language gets to you, you know, just just That's drop funny. this right here. No, I'm still a little scared of my sponsor, and she would kill me. So, so but butt you. nuggets is the worst language you're gonna That's, come up yeah, with in this particular episode. This. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Renee, this has been great. We uh, the time flies. It I mean, does. it actually flies, and we're doing this kind of thing, and. Uh, um, I love it. Thank you for being so vulnerable and Thanks open me, and, you know, uh, and, and it's what people relate to, you know, wow. it is what people relate to. It is our fallibility that connects us. I believe that. And, and through admitting our fallibility, it allows me to show you who I really am. And I, I can't afford to not today because I need you. So yeah. thank you for doing this. God bless you. All right, so I am going to close it out here with page 164. Excuse me while I reach over here for this. Page 164 of the big book. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. And much as Renee has done today. (laughs) Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you. In the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Renee, mm-hmm. as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Renee, thanks for stopping in. Thanks for having me. Pre- 
Thank you, Miss Renee E. As always, it was a pleasure spending time with you. Uh, thank you for carving time out of your schedule to come in here and be with me and to share with the Sober Speak audience. It sure was a pleasure. If you were listening out there and you want to get a message to either Renee or any of the other speakers that you have heard on the podcast, send me John, J-O-H-N, an email to John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. I will be glad to pass on your comments to uh, the speakers, or if you just want to say hello to me or whatever the case may be. All right, now on to a little bit of, oh, before I do that, if you are not in the, what we call it, a secret, the super secret Facebook group. And for and for those who, most of you know this, but just in case you haven't heard this before, uh, the reason we have a secret Facebook group is to protect anonymity. You cannot find a, a secret Facebook group by searching for it. Uh, you can find our public page if you search for Sober Speak, but you can't find our secret Facebook group by searching for it. You have to be uh, invited in. Uh, and once again, that is only for anonymity purposes. So if you want to be in that group, send me your email associated to your face with your Facebook group, with your Facebook account, forgive me, I can't talk today, to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. And if you're not following us on the Instagram, I'm at at SoberSpeak, all one word. All right, now on to listener feedback. JC posted in the Facebook group and he said, does everyone here have their S together all the time? Or do they just post about the good days? I personally have had the most difficult six to nine months in my recovery journey. I am full of doubt, anger, distress. I really feel angry and it hurts. And I am not going to give up, not ever. And he got just a ton of feedback. And if that's the kind of thing that you enjoy giving feedback on within social media, you want to come on in the group, uh, uh, feel free to come on in and join us. But uh, I appreciate JC being uh, uh, vulnerable. Um, as we talked about on the beginning of this episode, you know, uh, reality in sobriety is that it is not always a bed of roses. Uh, we go through periods of uh, anger, uh, depression. Uh, it, let me speak to my for myself. I have been angry. I've gone through depression. Um, I uh, am full of fear at times. I have times where I am very selfish. Um, and, and that's though why I keep coming back to learn how to deal with those things. I want to hear the people in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and otherwise another 12 step programs who have come up against these things. They dealt with them and they got through them. And I want to hear the solution and how they got to the other side. I get that identifying is a very important part of our, uh, a program and that we have to, I guess what you would call, uh, like I said, I identify by, uh, telling our war stories and, you know, what went on before we got here. But, uh, it is always very nice to hear what people did to get through that hour of darkness for them. And 
Is this and or Angie? A-N-G-E. Could be either. But nonetheless, she posted in the Facebook group as well regarding episode 110 with Jenny L. She said, I just finished listening to Jenny L. Just Say Yes, that's the name of the title, podcast for the second time. Wow, what a story. Truly amazing how she was able to reclaim her life. Thank you, Ange, and I agree. And if you haven't heard that episode, episode number 110, Jenny L., Just Say Yes, um, I would uh, highly recommend it. Jennifer posted in the Facebook group and she says, greetings from down under. I'm nine months sober and doing my full step on resentments at this moment. Can anyone explain to me what resentments against principles means with some of the examples? Thanks in advance. Let me read that in uh, real English, so to speak, and not a fake, very bad Australian accent. She says, greetings from down under. I am nearly nine months sober and doing my fourth step on resentments at this moment. Can anyone explain to me what resentments against principles means with some examples. Thanks in advance. And Gary Kay, yes, Gary Kay, the one who is a regular on this podcast, said to her, I found them to be manifested in my life behind statements that started with, well, I'm the kind of person who fill in the blank or any statements using vocabulary such as those people and the old everybody knows or everybody does statements. In general, those principles I live by before recovery that allowed me to judge or hate or separate myself from other people or groups because I was, quote, right, and they were, quote, wrong, for uh, for me, some common institutions centered around religion, politics, races, nationalities, and gender issues. The result was for me a litany of justified resentments and self-centered fears. And don't worry about getting it right or talking too long to make sure you get them all right now. The idea is to get started. Get familiar with this, quote, set of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We are initially doing inventory to identify and be rid of the most glaring defects. We will be doing inventory or house cleaning for the rest of our recovery. More will always be revealed. The steps are not an educational assignment to be learned. They are not a psychological or therapeutic process to learn or to love ourselves or to make us happy. They are spiritual surrender to help us have removed that which is within, which has been blocking us from the sunlight of the spirit. And as such, they are not learned or figured out. They must be experienced. Very good. So get a sponsor. The two of you get a big book, read it together. And when it comes to a place where action is involved, take the action. We don't surrender to alcohol. We surrender to this way of living as it is outlined in the big book. We, in my experience, don't understand and then act. We act and the understanding follows. Very well said, Mr. Gary Kay. And I do hope that helped you, Miss Jennifer from down under. Tell all the little uh, koalas and the little uh, kangaroos and all those uh, other things that we said hello. Okay. 
Mark writes in and Mark says, hi, John, I love your podcast. It is truly a meeting when I can't get to the meeting. I ride my bike to work eight miles each way. You must be in shape, Mr. Mark, and listen to it on a regular basis. Thank you for your service in producing it. It is truly great 12-step work. Will you add me to the Facebook account or Facebook group? My uh, my FB account is under my name. I live in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. So you are driving, you're riding your bike eight miles and back in Washington, D.C. Wow. That must be quite a, uh, that must be quite a ride to work and back. Uh, who knows? Maybe you live on the outskirts of DC, but nonetheless, he says, I have 15 years of sobriety in April. Good for you, Mark. That's fantastic. However, I went to my first meeting in 1983 when I was 21. I was a slow learner. Wink, wink. He puts in there, but I'm fortunate by the grace of my higher power and the program to have solid sobriety. Lots and lots of great meetings in the DC area. I've heard that. Easy does it. Thanks again for producing the podcast. It is excellent, Mark. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Scarlett writes in, and this is a little bit of a longer one here, but I but I just, I love how she writes. I love how she expressed herself. I'm going to go ahead and write this. I'm going to go ahead and read this whole thing. Scarlett, by the way, when I hear the word Scarlet, and I'm sure she heard this a million times, I think of that uh, ending of the, what's the film, uh, Gone with the Wind, right? Where Rhett Butler is about to take off, I think, and Scarlet says something to the effect of, no, no, don't leave, Rhett, don't leave. And he goes, frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. Uh, sorry for that uh, bad enactment of the last scene of Gone with the Wind. I could have got the names wrong. I'm sure I could have got the script wrong. Uh, much was wrong in it, but I'm pretty sure he says something like, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Anyway, Scarlett says, I live in Frederick, Maryland. Oh, you're right up there near uh, uh, the last of Mark. Uh, anyway, uh, if you see a guy out riding his bike... <laughs> <laughs> listening to podcasts <laughs> say hey are you mark anyway uh, i live in frederick maryland i'm 37 years old the aa community here is incredible i am pretty new to the program if i make it to this friday i'll have two months away from all substances well good for you scarlet I am an alcoholic and an addict. Both my parents are alcoholic, but my father is the only one who stayed dry, which I use intentionally as he uh, uh, also was a very was very abusive as a child, and I would absolutely consider him to be a dry drunk. I am queer and trans, and he always doesn't accept me as I am. I haven't spoken to him in almost eight years, praying for God to heal him and grant him light and love as he, uh, uh, and that has helped me immensely with my resentments toward him. Good for you, Scarlett. If I can't forgive him, how can I ever expect to be worthy of forgiveness myself? Good question. Because of that past abuse, though, I never really intended to go to AA because I felt like it was that picture of sobriety and I didn't want it. I've 
since learned that, of course, that there are no spare parts in AA, and that we can see that we and that we can see what we don't want to be. I came to the rooms initially because a friend confided in me their own issues with alcohol since they were new to AA. They were they were still weren't sure if it was a cult, laugh out loud. So I offered to go with her as support to open meetings. Well, wouldn't you know, I think I know what's going on. I think I know what's coming next. Y'all... <laughs> AA ruined my drinking and drugging, and I wasn't even trying to listen, laugh out loud. I drank alcoholically pretty much from the get-go when I had my first drink about 15 years old. Senior week at only 17 years old was my first experiencing and blacking out, waking up in my own excrement, and then spending the next day shaking and having hallucinations. I had no idea how dangerous a situation that was for me. That also wasn't enough to keep to stop me from drinking. I continued like that for years until around 25. And one morning, terrified my mother with the severity of burst capillaries in my face from dry heaving the night before. One morning, I terrified my mother. My entire face was black, blue, and purple. I still didn't go to the rooms. I started reading about different spiritualities and religions, and in some ways, unknowingly worked some of these steps. Though I was very much white-knuckling it for about a year, eventually I became convinced that I was the most humble person, oxymoron I know, laugh out loud, and at a wine festival, somehow found myself three bottles of wine deep before heading to the bar. Another several hours of horrible drinking passed. When I came out of the closet as queer and trans, I thought my problems were solved. I, of course, didn't admit to myself that the reason that I came out and started transitioning was because I had been caught by a woman's husband cheating with her. We are both alcoholics. We met at a bar and every time thereafter would begin drinking and going behind his back. I was terrified he'd kill me, laugh out loud. I didn't even, I didn't want to die in the closet. And I was okay for a while coming out until I had a mental breakdown. I'm dual diagnosed and developed agoraphobia. I think agoraphobia is like a real severe form of uh, uh, anxiety disorder, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to the point that I spent four years laying in bed, praying for death, taking any pills I could get my hands on, benzos, opiates, smoking all the weed, drinking all I could, gaining over 100 pounds. Looking back, I can see that my disease was more than the agoraphobia that kept me bedbound. My wife, now my ex, but still best friend, was a mental health professional and couldn't understand why her best efforts to help me weren't seeing any positive results. After four years of taking care of me and supporting me and honestly doing, quote, everything, unquote, for me, she had enough and sent me packing back to Maryland. I didn't blame her, but I also was terrified of coming back 
to the hometown I grew up in and came out and coming out of the closet back into my mother's house who I who I used to drunk drink and and drug deal drugs with I thought many times of taking my own life before and after my wife left me Many times I would take a couple of milligrams less than a lethal dose of opiates and pray my breathing got shallow enough just not to wake up. I once took a substantial amount of MDMA while on SSRIs, hoping to get a serotonin sickness and die. There were other attempts. When I came back to Maryland, I got a medical marijuana card and it did help for a time until it didn't. I have no access to benzos or opiates back in Maryland because doctors have long since labeled me as a pill seeker without ever suggesting I get help for that behavior or that I might have a problem. Or maybe they did and I just brushed it off. Who knows? Laugh out loud. On what would have been my ex-wife and I's six-year anniversary, the weed wasn't doing anything to my silence to quell the pain and suffering. I cried in the basement steps for 20 minutes, trying to muster the courage to end it all. And I walked up to the steps and I saw the bottle of Jack Daniels. Whiskey was always my love. My mother and I had immediately remembered how good booze was and had always worked so much better than the other myriad myriad of drugs I had tried, and I wanted to chug it down. There was one problem. I had been going to meetings with my friend, and in that moment, in that cunning, baffling, powerful, and added that into my own book, Patient, alcohol snapped into my brain as a solution. I heard the words I had tried so hard not to hear in those meetings, and I realized for the first time that I am an alcoholic. I posted on Facebook asking for any asking for anyone to tell me not to drink. Thank God some friends did just that. A few days later, I got my 24-hour chip. Even though I hadn't had a drink since before the 21st, I chose Uh, that for my sobriety day, I chose that for my sobriety day because it was the day that I admitted to myself that I am powerless over alcohol and that my life was extremely unmanageable. I tore up my medical marijuana card as well. I do think it has medicinal values for those that use it responsibly. I agree, but nothing in my nature allows for use of anything (laughs) responsibly. I get that, Scarlett. While I still suffer from agoraphobia, major depressive order, bipolar disorder, general anxiety disorder, and PTSD, I have left my mother's house in almost every day since I got my 24-hour chip. I go to as many meetings as possible, often three a day. Good for you, Miss Scarlett. I have an amazing sponsor who I am so thankful for. I have real friends for the first time, people who reach out to me when they know I'm hurting, people who don't judge me for my shortcomings. And while I am far from working the 12-step 12-step in terms of sponsorship, I have been blessed with the opportunity to help many of my new friends in AA and in other ways. And may I add, Miss Scarlett, this is one of those ways you're going to have quite a few people hearing your letter. 
I have two home groups and service positions in both. Six months ago, I was planning to reapply for disability. Today, I'm consider- considering trying to get back into the workforce. Wow. It is a miracle that I am able to sit in silence today and do not want to kill myself or feel the need to, quote, medicate, unquote, myself with alcohol or drugs. I am so grateful for this program to have been given the knowledge that I am not a bad person trying to be good, but a sick person trying to get well. I am so lucky to have been born in a time when AA is alive and thriving. That's a great point, Scarlett. I apologize for the novel. I tend to overshare with people. I've gained so much for your podcast. Thank you for everything you do, Scarlett. Thank you, Miss Scarlett. Thank you very much. You don't see me right now, but I'm doing little namaste hands and I'm touching my heart. And God bless you and your family and those who are traveling this path with you. May God bless you and keep you until then. Finally, one last piece of listener feedback here. A little, a little piece, a little tiny piece. Michelle DM'd me on the Instagram and she says, John, thank you so much for your podcast. One, two, three exclamation points. My name is Michelle F. I have been a member of AA since 325, 2003. I have recently transitioned into a new new phase of my career and it involves a much longer and sometimes frustrating commute. Fortunately for me, sponsees take up most of the drive time, but on those days where everyone seems well, <laughs> laugh out loud, I have latched on to sober speak. I feel I uh, like I'm more grounded and connected as the speakers experience strength and hope move me out of self and into the solution big capital letters is solution, double exclamation point. What a gift you have given me for my time alone that may otherwise be spent entirely in my head. (laughs) Scary place to be sometimes, laugh out loud. Again, thank you, John, and your wife for helping to keep this drunk sober one day at a time. Hopefully, in turn, I can carry the message to the one who still suffers, who still suffer, who still suffers. I am grateful, smiley face. She says, I just finished listening to Bill C on steps one, two, and three. Incredible. I love, love, love his perspective on ego and illusions of separation from higher power. Mind blowing stuff. Yet so obvious. Keep on keeping on. What you're doing is affecting lives, Michelle F. Thank you, Michelle, for reaching out on to me on Instagram. That is just, uh, oh, like I told you, made my day. God bless you. All right, everybody, that's it. Another week. As I always say, we take this one week at a time. Hopefully I'll be back next week. God bless you. God bless yours. I love you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.